0: Welcome to Revenue Champions, I'm Alice. And I'm John. We interview leaders, experts and entrepreneurs in the B2B space. Giving you the inside tips, tricks and hacks for you to grow and scale your B2B business today. So welcome everybody, welcome to today's episode of Revenue Champions. Today I'm joined by, or joined with Nicholas. So Nicholas, if you want to give a quick introduction to everyone, that would be, that would be great.
1: Sure, I'm uh, Nicholas Vandenberg, I'm the co-founder of uh, Piper. I actually co-founded Chili Pepper with my wife, Alina, which is unusual, <laughs> uh, but it, it has worked well so far. Uh, Chili Pepper is what we call a, an inbound conversion platform, so we do all the routing and scheduling that companies need to optimize their inbound conversion. And uh, I've done several companies before, I guess some people would call it a serial entrepreneur in different fields, until I found the space that's... A, I really enjoy sales and marketing tech. I love working with salespeople and marketing and marketers. So that's what I do now. That's
0: great. Now I saw, it. what's the other organization? Is that specialized in very similar? Is it it's, it's kind of like a Calendly? Is it a Calendly?
1: I do have a, a, another company called Cosmo Time. Uh, no, no, it's a, a crazy thing. Um, I was struggling with Chili Piper to get things done and get my time organized. So I decided to look for a software solution to do that. And I didn't find anything that helped me and then some ideas on how to do it. So even though I was struggling for time, I did this great thing of starting another company actually with Alina to solve that problem. So CosmoTime is about helping uh, task management and it started as a smart to-do list and then it evolved into a smart calendar. So, and that's because nice. uh, when we were focused on helping getting things done, realized that the uh, core aspect of uh, task management is blocking time and blocking yep. time in your calendar like I can understand how, how you're going to be able to do times so we started Cosmo time and uh, and you think of calendar because it's a smart calendar but it's, it's the other aspect mm. of calendar not so much the booking meetings with other people much more sure. the internal aspect of a calendar so how do I manage my time where do I put my task have this concept of a Focus block where you group your tasks together to be more efficient, and you get in the flow and executing all your tasks. And if you don't get to execute some tasks, they get moved to the next block. Things of this nature. So well, it, it, I was going to say it sounds
0: it sounds complex enough managing one organization, let alone two. And I know that um, obviously Chili Piper just raised their Series B. When was it in April that you guys? Yeah, just, just announced
1: uh, March. That? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we raised we thirty three million. Yeah.
0: Congratulations! So, no, you. yeah, I suppose Nicholas, like what I re- what I really want to focus on saying, um, I suppose for the listeners is really just get an understanding as to kind of where you're at now as an organisation in Chili Piper, um, and how structurally you've kind of developed from um, kind of that very early stage organisation to now kind of that that scaling um, scaling stage that you're in now. So, I'll be really interested, Nicholas, like when you first set up the organisation, like how how did you go to market, and how has that pivoted as you've gone through these um, later funding rounds? Has it been very outbound sales led, marketing led, and I know, obviously, your platform's inbound focus. So I'm assuming that had a lot of, um,
1: yeah, a lot of, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. I, 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 yeah, I'd love to tell the story because uh, I've just realized now that I made a big mistake. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in how my go to market. So uh, I think it could be uh, beneficial to your audience to to, to hear that. So uh, when we started Chili Pepper, we bootstrap. Um, so we were just looking for. Um, product market fit and, and um, we wanted to make sure I should preface that by telling you the big vision behind Chili um Alina was designing products at Pearson and Bloomberg and she had super high adoption rates and me I was running a sales team and I couldn't get my sales to adopt Salesforce so we put the two together and we thought listen why don't we de- design apps for sales and marketers sales people and marketers that people love and adopt and, and we will will uh, be super successful. So that was a, that our thesis. We say we're going to build a super successful company by re- rethinking software for the B2B world. And the danger of this like high level thesis is that uh, you just like boil the ocean, you know, you do things that people don't need. So we took the other angle we and we're going to focus on something very narrow and make sure that we immediately get revenues. So we did that and we focused on the handoff between uh, SDRs and account executives. So we did what we found that when SDRs on the phone with with a prospect and they want to book a meeting, they had to go and look at a spreadsheet on who to book with, then find the calendar, find the availability, create the invite, send the invite, and that takes seven minutes. So we automated that process in three clicks. That was our early product. So that's the background. So now to your question on the go-to-market at first, I actually, it seems crazy, but I did it in person. I'd go to meetups, I'd go to events, and I'd just hit on people. I'd say, hey, I love sales, I love content, like human interaction. So we'd do all in person at these meetups. I'd come back from a meetup in New York and have, like, 11 booked meetings. You know, it's like, uh, I'd talk to everybody. Uh, so that was our go-to-market early on. And it, it, it worked. Uh, you know, we got the, to... Uh, be cash positive within nine months with this approach because you know it was very cost effective, and then we got lucky because when our product has a viral aspect. So when you book a meeting with somebody and somebody has a good experience, like your prospect, they say, "Wow, that was really good. I wonder what that, what, what, it, what tool they use." And they check it out, they find the Chili Pepper, and they come to our, our website and say, "Hey, I want to use the same thing uh, that I've used to book a meeting with Greenhouse or Square or you know, all these early customers that I got by meeting in person." So we we got that uh, going, and we were more like eighty percent inbound at the beginning, and I kept that growing. Um, and then I thought, okay, I need another motion, and I started hiring SDRs and go outbound. And it took us a lot of time to figure out the right motion on the SDRs. And it's ironic because we sell to SDRs, so we we we've talked I've talked to like uh, hundreds of SDRs and hundreds of S- 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 sales development leaders. But each company is special. I think you, you, you're quite aware of that, that every market, every company is a different uh, angle and and there's no uh, formula for sales development. You have to adjust all the different pieces. So it took us a while to make it work. And finally, we got the motion to work and we started scaling that SDR team. And that's around the time when, when we... Uh, raise or A round and we're able to, to invest more. But the mistake I made is when we were getting this inbound in the early days, I should have doubled down on marketing. I realize now we, 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 um, we pretty much ignored marketing. I thought this is, we, especially when we're bootstrapped, I thought this is not a direct investment. Uh, it was hard had to get advertising to perform. That's what we tried, uh, but we never scaled that. And now that I have a full, uh, so so actually last year, and I love sales, so that may, be my, may have been my bias. You know, as I say, these outbound sales, I get it, so it works, and, and make it work, and, and, and I made it work. But now that uh, we're scaling the outbound, I'm thinking the inbound is not, is not following, right? So last year, late last year, I did something funny. Um, I asked my CMO to leave the company, and I took it over because I thought there's something not quite right in how we do it, and we, I need to really think it through. So I took over the marketing department, and now we have a team of twenty marketers uh, doing all the pieces of, of the marketing world. And I just wish I'd done that earlier, because it's obvious that uh, that uh, it's a secret to scale and scaling faster. Yeah,
0: I was going to say so. In terms of obviously, you had a very clear vision in terms of what you wanted that marketing department to look like. Like, what is your expectation of your senior leadership team, like particularly looking at like the sales angle and the marketing, the marketing team? Like, how do you want that collaboration to work between the two?
1: Yeah, so a so, uh, 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 chili pepper, our product, at uh, the junction between sales and marketing. So, you know, our core product now is for the website, right? So, when people come to request a demo, and I'll get to your question in a minute. I just want to give a bit of background. Uh, when when uh, when people come to request a demo and they fill a form, they get a thank you page. Somebody's going to call you, and then sales is supposed to follow up, right? So, marketing is in charge of the form, and and. They do their job by getting that form um, submitted. And then sales are supposed to follow up and they uh, get alerted that somebody has submitted their form and wants a demo. And they call that uh, prospect and try to engage to schedule that demo. And when we found that companies lose up to 60%, so only 40% of the people who ask a demo actually get a demo. So that's our product. Concierge upon a form submission in real time, we qualify the prospect, we route, we retrieve the calendar of the right account executives, and we book the meeting in real time. And it's qualified, and then we send an order reminder so it's held. So we we are we are uh, at the core of the coordination between sales and marketing. So you'd expect that at Chili Piper. <laughs> we, 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 we do that well. And I must say we do. We we uh, for example, we uh, once a week we have. Uh, um, SDR meeting attended by all our marketing team. And, and uh, the same token, whenever we test something in marketing, we're going to share with SDRs. So we we, we are um, really uh, exchanging ideas around how to make the messaging work, the targeting work uh, across the both. At some stage, I thought that sales development reps should um, report to marketing because I thought, in effect, they, they're creating demand, right? They're generating a pipeline. Then I realized that... Uh, from a career standpoint, it makes more sense to be part of sales because they aspire to to, to take sales job mostly. But the coordination is very intense. So, so we uh, we constantly go back and forth. We test messages on on advertising and we then move them to our cadences or so we test messages in cadences and we move them to our advertising. And then from a workflow standpoint, of course, we use Chili Piper to make sure that whenever uh, a prospect um, raise their hand through a website then they booked immediately with the sales team and, and that uh, head is seamless
0: okay interesting 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 so from like your outbound perspective out, outbound sales team that you got at the moment how how have you positioned that have you gone after like very set targeted accounts and are you taking your outbound team and going up into the enterprise as you like your core accounts you're going after or is it very much like an SMB focus how have you structured that
1: So we do not want to spend our resources upbound on SMB, right? Because it's not worth Mm -hmm. it. We want to go after market. So we do mid-market and enterprise. We have specialized uh, SDRs for enterprise because we found that uh, it takes a lot more touch points to get to an enterprise uh, meeting booked, Uh, but it's worth it. So they have lower quota right? they don't need to get as many meetings. Each meeting is worth more. And they also have a different approach. But by now, at the beginning, it wasn't the case. But by now, everything is account-based. So we just have a list of accounts and we distribute accounts to, to OSDRs and have them work on these accounts. At the beginning, it was more the Wild West. said, so look, go and find accounts that you, uh, you, you can work with. Um, but by now, we have a very good understanding of which accounts are going to work. Like uh, We have a good uh, pre-qualification process to get our list together and then assign them to each SDR. So that's how, that's how we operate. And I think I think, um, I think think about the right approach. In the early days, uh, you don't want to assign accounts to SDRs when you don't know which accounts are going to work, right? Because you, you want to, there's an exploration and the exploration should be done by everybody. So you should have your uh, SDRs look at, try different things, try different types of companies and see what works. But once you figure out what works, then it's better to uh, put like a, a machine around it and, and list these accounts and say here's your 300 accounts and go after the, these these ones. Yeah.
0: How long did it take you to identify that? Because obviously a long you said you're very inbound focused to begin with, like yeah. you must have had an array of customers from so many different segments. Like at what time frame did you say okay yeah. these are our our ideal ICP that we want to go after? A,
1: a long time actually. Uh, it it took close to two years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm obviously talking about the time it Got to a point where I thought this is really working, right? I mean, we 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 had earlier success before before two years, but uh, as as I mentioned, we sell we sell to sales and reps, right? Our solution we have a handoff solution, so uh, I know the worst and the best teams in the world, right? We see them. Sure. <laughs> and we, our, our solution is about booking meetings, so we see which ones book a lot of meetings and which ones don't book a lot of meetings. So. I had high standards in what I wanted to reach in terms of productivity per, per rep, right? How many meetings, uh, qualified health meetings can be held. And so that's what took us two years to get to. And and you also want to not only be able to reach these standards, but reach them across the board, right? You you don't want to have just one or two top performers to be there. You want the whole team to be there. And I, I think sure. it, it, I kept looking um, for the magic wand, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, this has got to be... and, and I've, talk to a lot of self development leaders and say, "How do you do it?" We try to figure it out. And in the end, the reason why it took two years. In the end, you have to optimize every piece. Like you have to optimize the, the message, the cadence, the, how you respond, the targeting, the the copy of the, the you know, and um, and and it's by trial and error. So so the bad news. Often I I'm asked to help companies with a go to market. Uh, Motions. And, uh, and the only advice I you have to keep, what you need to do is measure and keep trying and keep optimizing, keep optimizing. And uh, there's no magic one, you, you, but gradually you will get there. Like if you, mm-hmm. you keep focusing, you will get there. It's. Uh, I remember at some stage that Jesus, it's never going to work. This outbound, maybe outbound is not for us. And outbound is for everybody. It's just that it takes a lot of uh, optimization to get to it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, because I saw the, the key driver for you guys, it appears to be like your net dollar retention and actually bringing in those good fit customers now. So like, if we look at it from a broader perspective, like where is the majority of your revenue coming from now that you've hit this kind of Series B level? Is it very much your existing account base or is it like net new logos and where where are you directing your your sales efforts as, as a CEO?
1: Well, we need both, right, because uh, with, with fundraising comes expectations. Sure. Right. So you get somebody give you thirty three million and say no no do something with it. Uh, when we were bootstrapping, we, we doubled year over year. But now that we have this funding, we aim to triple year over year. So we obviously need new logos as well as well as um, expansion on base or expansion on base. You're right. We're very happy with it. We in in the 250 percent net revenue retention rate. So we we are close to the top top-performing companies uh, you know, in SaaS, so we need to continue the new logo. Uh, but you're right, it's because we target better that we can get a better uh, net revenue retention because the companies are very qualified. So when we get in, uh, we know that they're going to be able to deploy Chili Piper in the different teams and in, in, across their motion. Also, as Alina recently pointed out, we, in effect, double the inbound pipeline. So you put your form there, you spend some marketing dollars, you get 100 people to request a meeting. And before Chili Pepper, you get 40 people to get a meeting. Now, with Chili Pepper, you get 80 people to get a meeting because we qualify in real time, the meetings happen. So now you've doubled your number of meetings, which means you've doubled your number of pipeline. So now you can hire more people. So, so I'm not saying we. We yeah, we are the the cause of the success of all our customers, but we definitely contribute to it. And so they hire more people, and then we, we get more licenses, and we expand. So um, so we, we we benefit from both uh, cross selling, so selling to other teams, and and from the expansion of the teams that are uh, um, typically growing in our customers. So the you know if we have to triple, that means that you 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 new logo dollars every month have to increase. So it's a it's a high pressure. And it's and um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's the reason why we're hiring and scaling and bringing more uh, more reps
0: in our team. Yeah, I was gonna say, something we neglected at Cognizant for quite a long time was the distinction between that account management and the account executive. How have you structured it at Chili Piper from, have you got separate reps solely focused on existing accounts and they're on the renewals and they're on the, the upsell piece as opposed to net, net new business? How have you structured that?
1: Yeah, that, that we figured out early on so we do it differently um, mid-market versus enterprise so in mid-market our account executive executives are pure hunters so as soon as the deal is closed an account manager is assigned to the deal the account manager is in charge of expanding that account and the account executive moves on but the account executive is compensated for the first year of all expansion so they, they, they just is double uh, double booking right double, double double commissioning in that first year we um, we do that because typically in the mid market, um, the initial deal is significant. In the enterprise world, um, say a company with um, 2000 reps, they always start with a small pilot. They always start with like 30 to 50 reps. And yet within the first 12 months, they're going to expand to the, the, the rest of the team. So in that case, we have the account executive work the account all the way through for the first year. So we only assign an account manager the second year um, because in effect, the work's down and down, right? When you've got the pilot at, uh, I don't know, for example, Intuit is a customer, and we started with, with, you know, a 20K deal and grew it to more like a quarter or half a million because they're not going to deploy a tool to everybody immediately. They are going to do a test and, and explain it. so account executive. So that that's a, a very different uh, motion, and it's worked
0: really well for us. Okay. And I suppose if we look then in terms of, that Growth that you've been on, like moving forward, like where do you anticipate that movement? Is it going to be very much enterprise life for you guys then like, moving forward?
1: Look, the, the truth is that um, our solution so helping people, uh, helping your prospects will request a meeting actually get that meeting should be used by everybody. That's what I've told my team from the beginning. I mean, I can't think of anybody who says, you know what, I'd rather have my prospect wait, let's get a thank you page, it's fine, they'll wait. Um, five minutes or five hours or five days. It's cool. And I I lose a bunch of them. It makes no sense. So everybody should have that. So another dilemma is say, do we let other companies serve the low end of the market or do we let other companies serve the high end of the market? And my solution is that, look, we should serve all the markets. This is the need that exists from small companies and large companies. We should serve them all. So we are at any time pursuing all the different segments with equal um, determination, so to speak, right? We want to continue. Min market has been the easiest because they, they close deals faster, especially tech companies. But uh, enterprise should have a solution. SMB should have a solution. So we're deploying different motions for the different segments, but we want to go after all of them. And so the answer to your question is that uh, we expect our growth to come from all of them uh, and and relatively relatively in equal proportions. So maybe do more enterprise now because we have some beautiful logos like uh, Expedia, Intuit, Ring central, but still um, still not neglect the other pieces.
0: Okay. So if we just pivot back to the kind of the net dollar retention piece, like yeah. how, have you, how have you structured it so your customers are supported that when it comes to that renewal point, they're in that position to move forward. Have you got dedicated customer success arm on top of your um, AM model and how how do you measure them in terms of their performance and metrics? What metrics do you put on your customer success as opposed to your AM team?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'll tell you a funny story about that. Um, uh, when w- when we started, it was just Alina and I, right, plus uh, two engineers and, and, and a QA guy. So I was doing the sales. She was doing the customer success. So I had bring in deals, and she was our CS rep, and I was the, mm-hmm. the sales rep. She'd board the companies, and she kept upselling companies. So we thought, wow, this is wonderful because what happened that the, as a CS person, she earned their trust. And what is the most valuable currency of a salesperson is trust, right? Like people trust you. So then then she would go and say, hey, why don't you use us in the other teams? So I thought this is brilliant. I'm going to hire a relationship manager. They will onboard our customers and they will sell them because they've earned their trust by helping them. And then I went to a conference conference um, a marketo conference and with the guy from Vista Equity, the SVP operations of Vista Equity, this company Vista Equity is famous, it's a private equity firm famous for their strengths in operations. They buy companies and they change their operations and they improve their the cash flows and things. And the guy says, okay, there's one mistake, listen, one mistake you don't want to make is confuse customer success with account management. These are two different things, you want them separate. And I'm sitting there in the room thinking, okay, one of of us is wrong here in this room. (laughs) And I wonder what that is. Statistically,
0: Uh, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And sure sure, sure enough, it was me who was wrong. Sure enough, uh, the relationship manager worked with Selena. She's the co-founder. But when you bring people, they tend to have either a very product mind and, and, you know, helping. and, And they would forget to sell at the end of the call. Or they were very much selling and they couldn't. Um, do the onboarding properly and and the uh, success properly. So then we split, and our customer success is very much focused on product adoption. We've now hired um, a head of uh, customer success who is now a chief uh, commercial, not chief commercial, uh, chief customer officer, um, who's very focused on adoption, on making uh, happy active users. That's our mission, happy active users. And they are compensated on the number of active users. They are also compensated on, on, on churn. Uh, because happy users tend to churn less and they uh, have two additional pieces, is uh, referrals and um, NPS. Well, our account managers are all about uh, dollars, so it's dollars from the expansion, they compensate on that, and then they do have a, a retention target uh, so that's the overlap, both CS and account management have a, have a retention target in terms of a logo retention, so they collaborate. Um, but, but the um, Account managers are all dollar-based. Um, it's all about the expansion they should achieve and, and whether they meet their quota in expansion that they have a quota, like a target to, to achieve. So, And some people said, well, isn't there confusion? In, in our case, I'm not finding any confusion. They collaborate very nicely. When when there's an account at risk, uh, our account managers and our CS team jump in and, and take the re- respective action that they're supposed to take. And it's working very well.
0: So how's it how's it work from the individual silo teams? Are they paired up individually? So have you got like a customer success manager that's paired with an account manager for their their set accounts, or how have, how have you structured? It? Have you got no, a pairing? No, model no, no, the board? We
1: don't. No, we don't pair. No. So yes, of their of their account assignments, AMs of their account assignments, in and, and their. And they are exactly. different, yeah. So John can work with uh, Ali uh, on one account and with Gaines on another account, right? So it, it, okay. it's, it's, um, it, it's not uh, paired. I, um, I hadn't even thought about it, but the, the, the logic of account assignment is different, right? So pairing would, would make it difficult. Actually, we, account assignment and, and distribution is actually one of the core uh, strengths of TD Piper. <laughs> you know, that's what we do, we assign, we, yeah, we distribute. Yeah, sure. And so uh, we, we're very focused on making sure that we optimize our account distribution. And what we found with, with, uh, is that the key to, uh, if you have a team of, of, of customer success managers, the way to distribute accounts in the optimal way is different from distributing account to, to account managers in other words account managers you're going to look at the expansion uh, potential um, you're going to look at the uh, the type of accounts versus in cs you're going to distribute much more uh, uh, based on the number of users the number of cases right the, the one the side so so we do that separately
0: okay and from a ownership level who actually owns those do you have a is it like a vp sales that's responsible solely for the the, the revenue side of it and then you've got a separate division exactly. That's responsible exactly for... exactly
1: yeah right so our, okay. our head of sales is responsible for the context achieve account managers and sdrs both mid-market enterprise and we have uh, as i mentioned jim uh, our chief customer officer who's in charge of customer success and customer support so she's in charge of getting happy users, and they're in charge of getting dollars from it. Okay.
0: What's the reason for separating them?
1: Is it- yeah, like I mentioned, is it's, it's, it's my uh, experience with this at this market or conference with um sure. with, with with a guy. The, the fundamental things is that um, the profiles are very different and the motivation are very different, right? So you you find in, in customer success. People who are very typically interested in the product and what the product can do and how it behaves and that, and very interested in helping. Well, our account managers uh, are more of a sales vibe, right? They they they, they enjoy closing a deal. They enjoy uh, closing a bigger deal. They enjoy, right? They they're not hunters like account executives, but they are. they um, they are hunters who really enjoy long term relationships. So they're different animals from uh, from the CS people. They, they have different aspirations and different different things they like, different things they're good at, and so that that's the logic. And and that's again something I, mm. I learned from experience because when I tried to merge these two things, it just did not work at
0: all. Did not work at all. Yeah. I'll say it's really interesting that you said that that kind of viewpoint. A lot of people view the SDR, the progression going through an SDR, is. Pretty linear going into the account executive. Do you ever get instances, and how have you set up your? I suppose the main question is, how have you set up your promotion pass for an SDR? Is it going into the A role, or do some pivot across to the AM or CSM CSM role?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, it is true that uh, the typical path for an SDR is to becoming an account executive, at chili paper we tell our SDRs, look, you, know you're on board. Uh, we have this thing called Piper plan. You tell us what your dream job is, and we'll help you get there. And so we actually very much welcome uh, SDRs moving into all sorts of positions. So uh, quite a few of them move to account management instead of account executives. They, they, for the reason I mentioned, they love the commercial aspect of a relationship, but they want more long-term relationship as opposed to more transactional. Um, of course, quite a few move to account executives. Some move to enterprise SDR, so decide to grow into that prospecting mode, but in in, in, a, in a different context. And then we have SDRs who move to completely different things. So uh, actually our top two product managers are are both ex-SDRs and they went through customer success first. So I remember each of them saying, listen, you're really good at understanding our product. Uh, How about you go to customer success because you can help people. And they did that and then say, wow, you really have a good sense for product. How about um, you become a product manager? So uh, it's a, it's a, great uh, stepping stone into all sorts of direction and we very much uh, encourage SDRs to be creative and what they want to do and, and open the doors for them
0: okay one question i've got so obviously you're rapidly scaling at the moment um how do you make sure that you retain staff but at the same time well you promote firstly how do you promote staff but not by moving them up, create all these holes in the organization? Um, so, for example, as an enterprise SDR, are you setting a timeline in terms of how long they have to be in that role before they're eligible to move up to an account executive, or is it on demand and you are just naturally, whenever these opportunities arise, you backfill it in? Uh,
1: so we have a, a very different approach from everybody else. Um, we have no timeline. We, we move people when they're ready. So this whole concept, annual performance, and that what I found in my many years of experience, is that uh, people do not progress linearly. So you you may be stuck for 18 months, and all of a sudden you have a click, and and you move on to the next stage. You you, you know, it's like, I guess, I have two little boys with Alina, and we put them in in a Montessori school. It's the same idea, that people move at different Pace, and you want to respect that. So putting everybody on an annual cycle to me is nonsense. So we have people getting promoted in in two months uh, to team lead in in two months, right? From from starting, it just happened that they have this talent and they're ready now. And others take longer, which is fine, you know. So we do not have annual cycles. We let we we we, uh, we every everybody's progress is specific to the person. We do encourage people to grow. We're very focused on professional growth. So we're fortunate that as we as the company's uh, business growth, there are more positions to be filled and, and people can take advantage of that. So like you hinted at, we promote internally a lot, very and, and sometimes um, I would say aggressively. So we, we trust, like we throw people in the pool, right? We, we trust that they're going to be able to become a team lead and we throw them in the job. And and so far it has worked really, really well. And then we have this other piece that... Uh, is uh, counterintuitive. We do not have employee retention target. We, the way we th- I think of it is that it's our job to make them uh, happy and help them grow. But if they find they have something else uh, outside that would grow better, then we all support and to go outside. We we want to be uh, we want to be. Once somebody comes on board a chili pepper, we want to be that person's best friend in helping them in their professional career. And so, of course, of course, we're trying to get Chili Pepper to be the place where they do that. But if they can do that in GE paper, then then uh, we completely uh, understand. So it's a much more dynamic uh, approach than than what you'd find in in every other company. It's it's not um, we don't have these rules and sets. And and I think um, in the early days, I was concerned that whether this could scale because it, t- it takes a lot more attention of what's happening, uh, but it just become part of a culture. So it scales wonderfully because everybody does it. Every leader knows that somebody's making progress and they should be move, moved up. And uh, everybody knows within the company that if they don't like their job, they can ask to change job. And actually, a lot of them ping me on Slack and say, hey, uh, I want to explore something different and, and, and make it happen. So uh, so it is, it's become part, part of our... I guess people would say culture. I would say more like uh, operating principles that, that we want you to move up fast or go wherever you want. And that's how we operate. That's
0: great. Yeah. Good. I'll say, so... It seems
1: to work. <laughs>
0: yeah, so it does seem to work. Um, <laughs> looking, I was to say, the other thing that seems very apparent is um, that you've led with kind of this remote-first um, remote first workforce. So can you just talk me through like when that came into play and why you decided to, to do that?
1: Yeah, it came into play at day zero. Um, it was very simple. Alina is Romanian. I'm French, and we love traveling. So you, you start with that, and so you think, okay. So we know that there's talent everywhere in the world. Experience it in France. Experience it in Romania. We know, and so we should not deprive ourselves of access to this talent. That's point number one. Point number two is that people should be free to live wherever they want. Like we, if we want to be in Europe for the summer, we in Europe for the summer. So that's how we built the company. We said we can hire people wherever they are and let them work wherever um, they want from from day zero. So the the, the original five in the company were um, Alina and I, and then one Ukrainian guy who lived in Montenegro, one Ukrainian, Ukrainian guy who lived in Kiev, and Sereno Romanian guy. So that that was the company, right? We, and then as we grew, we, I think the next one was in Atlanta. And so it, it kept growing that way. And potential investors would tell us, you can't scale that. You can't have this team everywhere. And we saw no reason why not. We just Everything was working on Zoom and Slack and Google Docs. So we, we were able to operate. And so we kept kept going and ignored the naysayers and said that we, 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 we know it can work. And of course, COVID happened, and then everybody says, "Oh, that's how it works. <laughs> everybody can do it." All yeah. these companies, you know, uh, helping other companies like um, like Oster and Deal, you know, raising money at four billion because they enabling the remote work. Um, to 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 a large extent, actually, ironically, um, this COVID trend has been detrimental to us because we we, we used to be the only ones uh, hunting for developers. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Outside, and I know uh, um, it was a, one of a competitive advantage. But um, yes, it, so it's, in, it's very much in our um, in our it's DNA. Chili pepper that uh, everybody works remotely, work more than they want. We've done two things. what well, so we've put in place all the processes to make it work. As I mentioned, Slack, Google Docs, and I can get to more details on things we've done to make it work. But we also respect the fact that meeting in person is very valuable. So we do two things. Once a year, we get together and we just... Oh,
0: did you see your Tulum? Your tulum and, uh, and I
1: can tell you, it, 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 it's magical. When you get all these people work together, getting together to, to meet, it's magical. It's amazing. It, it's, it's like a... One of my greatest pleasures in life that that once a year getting together it's it's just amazing to see people getting together and meet one another, and then we have another initiative called make um, make piper's meeting ha- happen. So we call ourselves uh, pipers, the employees of TD Piper, and so we we pay for um, party and and and. Um, overnight stay when somebody decided to go and meet somebody else in another city. So, for example, I, I had one of mine, my favorite, I had a Make Piper's meeting happen in Mykonos. So I said, yeah, hey, I'm going to Mykonos uh, because we have one guy in Greece and anybody wants to come and like eight of us went to Mykonos and, and met, you know. And So if you think of it, it's much better than meeting over the water cooler, right? You don't uh, you, meet uh, at the reception of the office, you, you meet in a club in Mykonos and, and we can afford it because we... Uh, we save money and a lot of other things. So so it's, sure. it's, it's, it's um, um, working very well.
0: I'll say, so bring this back to kind of the structure of how you've got your sales team set up. Like obviously you've got quite ambitious plans, like high growth targets. Expanding internationally and going out into new markets, how have you structured that with your remote first um, like hiring philosophy? Is it you're an, you're an account executive, you've got re- worldwide remit, or is it very much you're, you're hiring someone for a specific region?
1: um the the latter yeah we, we uh, so being remote first helped us right because we if we needed to hire somebody in Italy we've done it uh, before we already have one guy in Italy we have guys in Spain so uh, uh but yes what we found is that um, the ability to speak the local language helps a lot in booking meetings and closing deals so so we're quite keen on hiring uh, local people. Uh, so we do specialize by, by 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 region, so U.S. versus Europe, and within Europe by country, for that reason. And um, we also found that the U.S. market moves faster than every other market. I mean, this is not something we found. I mean, everybody knows that, uh, but but we experienced it. So, and 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 there was. Uh, a major uh, difference. So it, it, the UK market is actually in between. It's interesting. It's, it's a very active market uh, compared to the rest of Europe. But the uh, return on investment on resources we placed in in, in continental Europe uh, was not as strong as in the US. Right? You you put a lot of resources and they don't close as many deals. But it's changing. It's uh, no. It's coming um, coming around. Uh, you know, European companies tend to see what others are, are doing and best practices and, and and move to these best practices so so we're making progress
0: interesting so say you just raise around like what would be your what would be your, your advice right in terms of actually going out international because i imagine from what you're saying you've got quite dispersed teams quite a few different regions that you're focused on is it really best to really hone in on one particular market or do you really find that it doesn't really matter and you can put your eggs in a lot of baskets and kind of go after all of them at once how what's your experience in that yeah um
1: so what what, uh, we found it that uh, each country is specific so i've not found a recipe from for germany that i can apply to spain let's put it this way right Uh, so each market and a large part of it is around talent and and knowing that market. So to your question, I think you can work them in parallel because each of them is 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 its own um, game, right? Its own stake, sure. and so winning Spain will not gonna make you win uh, Denmark, right? So so you, it's really a matter of uh, finding the the right resources and be ready to iterate until things start working. So I guess in your case, I would think that you you should them in parallel to the extent that you can find the right resources in each of these countries. Sure. There's no point in waiting. Uh, in in, waiting and sequencing them you may may as well do them in parallel
0: is there a particular group of people that you hire at a specific time when you do open up a new market so from like a management layer perspective are you having a, a gm or a person responsible for that particular region or are you having it all roll up into um one like european gm
1: uh Ideally, uh, we we would have a European GM. And that's what I had. But the guy was so good that he was promoted to global. And now I don't don't have a a, a European GM. Uh, And because it's his background, he he continues managing it. Uh, But it makes sense to have uh, somebody who who watches these different countries. The way we've done it is quite uh, bottom-up. So we've hired uh, people um, at the account executive or as the level to work the market. I think that's because we were concerned about... Making investment that wouldn't work. In other words, if if I had somebody super senior in, uh, say, uh, Italy, and that person brings no no deals because the Italian market is difficult, then you have a poor return on your investment. So we tend to go more bottom up and say, hey, can we get somebody on the field that can make things work, and 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 then scale from there. But there's no question that um, you, Europe is is. Is it on anymore, right? Even though uh, we talk about the open market, we all know that each each market is specific and, and have have a European leader to manage these 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 motions uh, makes sense.
0: Okay. And from like an onboarding perspective, obviously you've got a variety of different um different languages, I'm sure, if you're hiring across the, the whole of Europe. How have you done that in a remote like in this remote setup that you've built? Is so, it... so
1: for the timing we we uh organized by tap so all the SDRs are together even if they work different countries and all the accounts together so the onboarding of an SDR is the same as in the US versus uh, any other country we just go uh, them train them through the same processes um, and same thing with account executives. the executive on- the onboarding is the same and then then it's up to them to um, to adjust to their own country so and they typically do that on their own so they get the onboarding there so basically they learn to uh, take an SDR to do a cadence that works in the US. Uh, they start maybe even given some accounts in the US to learn to book meetings, and then they adjust to their own country and tailor the messages in in the local language. And it's a kind of a responsibility to make it work.
0: Okay, and like in terms of the software that you've got, like what kind, what kind of tech stack have you built out to enable you to have this remote remote environment
1: uh we use the same uh, we use sales for outbound we um obviously use Td Paper to book our meetings <laughs> and uh use the usual uh, data agent uh it, it, our tech tech is very um uh, traditional sure
0: okay perfect well nicholas i suppose just to kind of summarize the call today like what advice would you give then? obviously as a as like an instrumental part of like a scaling scaling team, like what advice would you give to some of the listeners?
1: Well, so as I mentioned, uh, definitely, uh, I, I found since ever since I took over marketing, I found that the uh, world of marketing is changing much faster than I expected. Um, you know, and you still have people think, okay, I'm going to start with ads and all that. But but the the, the new world of marketing is, is very different. It's much more personal. It's much more about influencers, much more about advocacy. So it's much more about uh, engaging with with communities, with your customers, and making sure that they uh, promote your product. Um, so that's what I have um, a friend who started a company uh, that he calls Brand Tech, Brand Technology. So helping people build their brand, and he's coined the term and says it's people powered marketing. So that's one new motion of people powered marketing um, is is um, something that that I would uh, advise to do early in the days. So that's the thing uh, we didn't do at Chili Pepper. We we just didn't pay much attention to these communities, and now we're trying to catch up. Actually, we're doing a good job. So on the marketing side, that's that's uh, what I would advise: is to invest early on and and, and think of people powered marketing. Uh, on the sales, yeah. On the sales side, uh, go ahead
0: no Nick. i was just gonna ask like, how because we've i was curious how do you encourage your team to actually build their own brand do you, is there like kpis and building it in, into part of their job role like how how are you getting the people to really push out the company message
1: yeah yeah we we uh, have our head of a community and social then uh, orchestrated every week so it's like guys uh, you know it's, it's more of a cheerleader we, we don't we don't um get them extra money or any, any measurement of that is more like a, Hey guys, let's do it all together to help the company. And, and, uh, everybody wants to help the company. So, um, and Dan is a good cheerleader. So that they, 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 they do it. But obviously they only, like when somebody posts on LinkedIn or Instagram, it has to be genuine. So they do it because they, they believe it's right. And, and they have good reason to believe it. So that's, that's how we do it. It's not, uh, Nobody's measured on that. It's more like, a, hey, let's do it together. We, we're in the same journey, so let's do it together. That's and I was going to say- Really interesting yeah.
0: you got a designated person that's doing that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's, like, it's, it's doing amazing. And then on the sales side, uh, your question on scaling, um, I would think that uh, what we, do, we did well in the early days is keep experimenting, keep measuring. So as you scale, you have to keep your eye on like uh, you, your. We have this framework called um, actions yield expected outcome. So we don't go. Uh, it's another thing that's unusual at Chili Pepper. We don't go with targets. We I don't say, hey, um, come on board, and you have to close 60k a month, or you have, you out. We have to say, hey, you come on board, and this is the actions you take. And if you take these actions, in the past we had this kind of yield. And with this yield, so typically you'd say, look an executive, we're going to give you a certain amount of pipeline. You should convert uh, the inbound at 42%, the outbound at 25%, because that's what we've, we've we've done. So we expect you to do that. And then you can source your own deal, and we expect you to uh, go after that many accounts. And do that. So it's all about uh, action and expected outcome with the yield. And what you want to make sure that you monitor the yield, right? But at some stage, you see uh, that the conversion rate, uh, you know, the win... Rain rate is lower. Then you have to understand why, right? Or if your effort, so that that's what we look at. And uh, by being very metric driven, we're able to take action very very early. So if something is not working, uh, here's a great example. We we uh, launch our product um, events for companies to book meeting at events. Same story, right? So you go to an event. You're happy because you've met a lot of people, but it's useless. What you really want to do is book meetings that turn into pipelines. So we have a tool to say, hey, when you go to an event, do a campaign to book meetings and Shape helps you book all these meetings. So we launched it. And then we said, how, how do we go to market with it? So we, we, we had a, an SDR team ready. We said, we're not going to give it to SDR because we have no evidence of the yield of this campaign. So we have what we call trailblazers, who, so two, uh, a team of two or three, with the experiment, they they do cadences to see they can book meetings. And once we get our yield at the level we want, then we scale. And we say, okay, okay, the other SDRs, look at the, we've been able to book, a, a, you know, like seven meetings out of a hundred accounts, so it's working. Um, you guys can all do it. But when we not until we're there, we don't give it to the other people. So we've been, um, I guess, from the start, of bootstrapping that we've been very focused on yield and never wasting. Um, energy right if we don't have the yield yet we don't scale but once we have the yield we scale so that's the advice uh yeah that, that that's that's frankly i'm going to tell you um that's the thing i've seen companies do wrong uh and as i mentioned i mean we have more than a thousand customers paying customers and and um, i've talked to hundreds of leaders and the one mistake that i see sales leaders make is scale before they have the yield so they hire a shitload of people uh, because they told their board that they were going to triple revenues. And the board says, well, you better because that's what we expect because the company is so beautiful and, and, and we pay you a lot of money. And then they bring a shitload of people. And, um, and with luck, it works. With lack of luck, it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, it get fired. So you see the tenor of, of a VP of sales is like a, 18 years. A, it's 18 years. 18, yeah, a, it's less than two years, right? Because, because of these promises. And the way to avoid that is to say, look, you bring me on board. You want me to scale. But delusion is not helpful to anybody, right? So what you want to do is say, what I'm going to do is scale. I'm going to take some actions. They're going to have a certain yield. And that's what I'm going to take it. And you, you um, have to model it that way. And then, if, so as a B of sense, so I can completely accept from a B of sense, say, I'm not going to make that number. But, but right now, we don't have what it takes to get to that number. And then, then we have a healthy conversation. So, well, can you take other actions? Is there other things we can do to get to that number? Uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, Julien, you not meeting your target, you're going to be in trouble, one more quarter and you're out, right? That, that doesn't help anybody, right? Because then the next one will be the same problem. So, uh, so we we've got the entire um, go-to-market motion on this framework of actions yield and expected outcomes, so that we can always uh, and we always monitor the yield because that's the most important piece. Because if, if you have a strong yield on something, then like when we know that the OSGR has booked certain meetings after two months of of uh, onboarding, then we should we should have a lot more, which is exactly what we're
0: doing. Sure. So, from a metric perspective. As a VP of sales, like, what would be your expectation in terms of how many core metrics are they tracking? Like how many metrics do you want your, your VP of sales to be looking at, like your north star metrics?
1: Not all ma- metrics are born equal, right? So uh, sure. for an account executive, you want to uh, look at the conversion rates, right, so the win rates, the pipeline you give, that's the number one. Obviously. For the SDRs, the metric will... The, the most important... It's not the only one, but the most important one we, we look at is uh, the number of accounts worked versus the number of meetings booked. So we give you an account and how many meetings have you booked. So that's the yield that we're expecting. And every, every week we look at okay, so Okay, out of 100 accounts, how many meetings did you book? And then you can decompose in, in uh, more detailed metrics on how many calls have you made, how many uh, emails have you sent. But again, the... the, the, uh, the the thing we must focus on is not the level of activity is the yield is, uh, yep. are you, are you, um... so California. this uh, to, to, to simplify you take these two simple metrics like meeting uh, the book by hundreds of accounts and then conversion rates by uh, by qualified ops and looking at these two you you uh, already have your north star on where things are going perfect
0: well, Nicholas, that's a brilliant note to end on. and Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Uh, I'm sure it was really insightful for a lot of the listeners. And um, yeah, thank you once again. My pleasure. This episode of Revenue Champions was brought to you by Cognizm. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast to get notified when the next one goes live. And follow Cognizm on LinkedIn and Twitter for more sales and marketing content. If you're listening on Anchor, you can leave us recorded questions or comments by hitting the message button below the title. We actually love hearing these. And if you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and share it online. We want to get the word out about Revenue Champions so we can bring you the best podcast possible.
1: Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.